Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sunday School Podcast where uh, we get together and we talk through this last week's sermon and the texts that were used, uh, the main kind of talking points and emphasize some other elements that maybe there wasn't time to cover on Sunday morning. And so if you haven't listened to this week's message, go to the episode right before this, listen to that, and uh, then come back and listen to this one. And the desire of this ultimately is that you will be gathering with other people and studying God's word and you that you could ultimately potentially use the sermon curriculum that we write each week in tangent with this sermon. It's in the video description every week uh, within our live streams. Uh, you, you can look, see that on our YouTube channel uh, or you can, uh, if you tune in on Sunday mornings through uh, Canton, dot uh, efc dot online church then you can uh, see it in the description of that as well so multiple ways you can get that or you can grab a hard copy here at the church so know that that is available to you as well um, this week we are actually starting a new series so we finished prayer, our prayer series a couple of weeks ago and this week we're beginning a series focused on worship and the title of the series is All of Life is Worship. We're seeking to, just like we did with prayer, we're seeking to unpack biblically what has scripture, how has scripture defined this uh, and to kind of break down those stereotypical views about what these things are uh, or how we perceive them versus how God has intended us to perceive them. So this was week one of this series, and it's going to go, it's going to be four weeks total. And so this will take us to the end of March. And we're asking the question this last Sunday, what is worship? So that brings us into our icebreaker question, which is if someone approached you today and asked you to define worship, how would you do so? And then the second part of this is from what you have seen, how does the church today define worship? Kung Kung. <laughs> that's a that's an easy one to answer. <clears throat> um, I I take how I define worship and go back to a saying from Paul, um, and everything that you do, do it all to the glory of God. Okay. Um, because ultimately, his glorification is like the best form of worship, and so that can be anything from reading your Bible to playing music to just being thankful. Um, there's there's a whole broad dynamic there um, that really is hard to to break down. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I would personally define it, and then I would say. Um, the entire church, not just like E-Free, but like the whole collective church, um, probably just defines it as playing music on Sunday mornings. Okay. Um, that's that's really what comes to mind, you know, just based on studies and stuff that I've done in school and that I've learned. Yeah. 
But I think there's any time we encounter a subject like this, there's always two sides to this. There's the, I'll call it the church answer, which anybody who spent any amount of time in the church would know and probably even be able to articulate, like, well, this is what the Bible says about worship, or this is what worship is. On the other side, there is the practical lived-out definitions and how we actually live or how we actually see these things. And it's not that uncommon for us to experience uh, kind of some discrepancy between those two. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of instances where we can know what Scripture says. We might even be able to verbalize what the truth is, but we aren't living it. And when we don't live it, then at the end of the day, that's really how we're defining it. How we truly define something is uh, revealed in how we live it out or how we walk through that. So uh, I would uh, I would uh, ultimately agree, and this is where the, the focus of this series is, that anything has the opportunity to be worship. Anything we do, uh, as Colossians 3.23 would say, that we would do all for the glory of God. Um, in the scope of that, though, generally I think we we define worship broadly as just, I'll, I'll go a little less specific as you did, as what happens on Sunday morning, that we gather for worship. And then if we want to do worship outside of Sunday, uh, we have another uh, worship and prayer gathering. <laughs> or we might have a worship night uh, or we might say, yeah, we're going to get together around a campfire and worship. And and in those senses, it usually involves some combination of scripture reading and songs and prayer and uh, all of those things that we would correlate with what happens on Sunday. Generally, we see Sunday as the day of worship. And we actually have called it that. There's there's people who call it, call it that. Or we'll say, join us for Sunday worship. Or <laughs> this this carries over into the language that we've used for a long time that has caused people to just associate Sunday with worship and worship with Sunday and the two together. And what what you're going to see in this series is I'm going to argue a lot from Scripture that, that is, that's, that's not bad in and of itself, but it can be if we limit it to just being that. Well, yeah, and I think that's it's important to not limit that, obviously, because... Jesus calls us to the exact opposite of that. He didn't ever say anywhere in any of his teachings, hey, I'll see you guys once a week. He wants yeah. every bit of us all the time. Yeah. Like, ultimately, that's that's what it is. That's our purpose. Our purpose here is to worship and glorify God. It's not to see what God will do for us. Right. And so, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, and I, I, I see that, that problem... Um, with not you know and, and anything that I say today is not just directed like at our church here specifically, but I see that a lot across the church where Sunday is the only day, and we did a podcast on that about being right. a Sunday Christian. Yeah. Um. And so I mean that that's where you got to really do a self check of you know am am I being the light of the world that Christ has called you to be, and if you're not worshiping seven days a week, then the answer is no. Right. So there's a couple passages that were kind of focal passages for this. Um, Psalm 29 was kind of the primary focus package passage on Sunday. Well, it is kind of a package. It is kind of a package. I just stumble over my words. Um, You're and, having a rough day. And day then the, the ending of that is the, at the very end of the message, uh, we read Psalm 96. 
And that just further emphasizes what is introduced in Psalm 29. Really just the first two verses of Psalm 29. And the reason that I focused in on those first two verses is because it encapsulates a lot about what the intent of worship is intended to be. The psalmist here um, really uh, emphasizes uh, what ascribing worth to God looks like and what what that means and how that should influence uh, what worship is. And this ultimately comes is where our main idea comes from, uh, from this message, which is when we see God for who he reveals himself to be, all of life becomes worship. In other words, when we truly understand and begin to see God in how he has revealed himself to us, in his word, in creation, in others, in the church, uh, when we start to see that biblically, then we start to understand more clearly what worship is intended to be. The alternative to that is uh, when we see God for who we want him to be, then we define what worship is. So that's kind of the opposite idea of that. One is us-focused, it's me-centric, and the other is God-centric, God-focused. So keeping that in mind, the beginning of Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So that's verse 1. And I wanted to, I wanted to touch on something here that I, I wish I would have, touched on a little bit more specifically on Sunday, and that's this term, O oh, heavenly beings. And I touched on it very briefly, because it's a minor thing in the scope of uh, what this is saying. The, the focus here is obviously ascribing worth to God, ascribing, uh, that is, associating what is due with God uh, only to Him. And, and so there can be some confusion here. In fact, there's a couple other translations of this and you may have a footnote about this in your in your Bibles. If you see a number next to uh, a word in your Bible, if you go to the bottom of the page, you should see uh, what that footnote says. And in my uh, in in my uh, ESV translation, it's going to give two two alternatives to that. So not oh heavenly beings only, but uh, also uh, sons of God or sons of might. Um, uh, some of you may have sons of the mighty or uh, something closely related to that. And some people get stuck on this. Uh, ultimately, what, I, what I'm arguing for in how we interpret this is with a focus on ascribing worth to God, it, it, that command or exhortation to ascribe worth or value to God extends to every being, all beings. It doesn't matter who they are. And there's differing viewpoints on uh, who the, what this is speaking of. Um, oh, heavenly beings, there's a lot of people who believe this is speaking just about angels. So the angels who have been given authority, who are considered heavenly beings, um, there's a call to even them to ascribe worth to God, to ascribe uh, glory and strength to the Lord. Um, there's others that take uh, that, that phrase, sons of God or sons of gods, and uh, we can see other places in uh, the Hebrew text where that same phraseology is used. And ultimately, it's, uh, it's the word alim, elchim, I would guess is how it's more better pronounced. Um, which there's, kind of, I'll mention a couple other places that that phrase, similar phrase is used. One is in Exodus uh, 15, 11. And in Exodus 15:11 it says, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods?" 
who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And then the word there for um, among the gods, it's the same word as the sons of God or the mighty ones or heavenly beings in uh, Psalm 29. Uh, another one of those is in uh, Daniel 11.36, and I'll pull that up here too. Um, and here it's very similar connotation to that. Uh, the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. So that, that term there in god of gods, it's again the same word that's used. So there's another grouping of people that look at that and they go, oh, heavenly beings is referring to uh, those who would be considered false gods or those who uh, may be perceived as uh, divine but really aren't, uh, that even those things uh, are, are called to ascribe worth and glory and power and honor to God himself. So th there, there's a couple of different various translations in that. Um, I know on Sunday I mentioned that in some translations where it says sons of God or sons of gods, uh, they use a lowercase g. We need to keep in mind that the Hebrew language has no no capitals and no punctuation. Okay, so if you if you never studied Hebrew in that, um, when you see capital letters or things like that in your Bibles, those wouldn't have existed in the original languages. So those are assumptions or meant to be markers of interpretation that's rooted in what the original text was had said. Yeah, and then if we compare like the Greek to modern times, it was all written yeah. in capitals, so it was like Paul was just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of instances where we could probably say he was. Probably. <laughs> so the emphasis here, though, I don't want us to get hung up on that so much so that we miss. That's why I didn't jump in, because we'd be down a rabbit hole so And sometimes far. that's okay. <laughs> But if we if we if we simp get stuck on that and miss the whole, the whole is clearly this repeating word of a scribe, a scribe, a scribe, a scribe, and we have to step back and ask ourselves, what does it look like to ascribe these things to God? What what does that actually in practice look like for us uh, to do that and to do that faithfully? Um, what I like is the on um, the cross reference. Um, in two where it says worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and uh, one of the references is Psalm 110.3 and I really like that first line where it says your people will offer themselves freely oh, yeah and I really like that when you think about it in worship because I mean everything that we do right if it if it was just a a uh, a, a dealing where we do it like just out of like obligation and compulsion it's right. not it's not really love for god it's just like more moist robots yeah and so i really like the way that that's that's put in there and it fits with ascribing yourself to the lord you're doing it freely because you yeah. want to because of what god has done for us right yeah and that goes right along with kind of the first question in the in the discussion questions from the curriculum what does ascribing uh what god is do require of us what does it require of us um, and it, it requires a willingness and ultimately a desire that we do it freely, as you just identified in the cross-reference. Ascribing uh, something to God, if it's done under compulsion, then we're not really internally in our in our heart attitude ascribing it to God. If if we come on a say say we do associate this with something we do on Sunday. If we come on a Sunday 
and we only do what we're doing because the worship leader or the pastor or some other person is prompting us to do it, but internally it's meaningless. It has no weight in in and of who we are. Then we are not we are not functioning in a, in worship there because worship is directly tied to this ascribing to God what is due to Him, and th- that would correlate exactly over with. Uh, what Jesus talked about in Matthew 15, where he said, uh, you, this people, he, he actually quotes a prophecy in Isaiah here, where he says, My, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and so in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Um, so, we, we have the ability to go through the motions of ascribing something to God without actually ascribing anything to him. So, it, it really is something that's not just fleshed out in uh, an outward way, but it's meant to be an internal uh, transformative work as well. So the second question kind of flows from all of this. How does the way we worship correlate with who we believe God to be? And in what ways can we use this to identify unhealthy patterns in our lives? So the thing that was really challenging about this is our worship in the same way we talked about prayer the same way that how we pray or our lack of prayer is a great gauge of where we're at spiritually and the same flows from worship and how worship looks in our regular life because when and how we worship it has a direct correlation to who we see God really is and if God is really just kind of this laid-back individual who isn't that impressive, and he's a, he's a pretty nice guy, and, you know, I, th- I think he's higher than me, but I, I have this kind of low view of God still, then that's going to be revealed in how much time I actually spend with him and what I actually would give to him. Uh, as opposed to, and we talked about this Sunday, worship literally is to bow ourselves down in submission, in reverence, in awe. And we can tell pretty quickly if our view of God actually influences our practice of worship or not. And we can tell a lot about who we see God to be based in what our worship actually looks like, both in form and in uh, substance. Uh, what What is the content of that geared towards? How do we approach God in these things? What is our demeanor? And how consistently? Because if I see God as the genie kind of in the bottle who solves my problems when I have them, then worship is really only going to happen when I have a struggle or I feel I need some kind of rejuvenation, as opposed to seeing all of life as worship is rooted in uh, recognizing that all of me is dependent all the time on God and who he is. Yeah, you can't just worship God for doing good things in your life. Um, we get tested, not tempted, not to be confused with tempted. We get tested. Our faith's tested all the time. And if you are only in a worshiping mood because God brought you through something and, you know, 
you you don't just worship him because he is worthy of worship, because he is God. He is the supreme being, the creator of the universe, the very person who pulled us from the depths of hell where we are all destined. Hell is not a place uh, that bad people go. Hell is our default destination, and God has made a way for that to not be the case. So in everything that we do, there should be worship, and it should be worship in the form of obedience, in the form of prayer, in the form of giving volunteering like there's so many aspects to it um and so very much yeah when when we look at god as being anything less than he is it does definitely like you said it changes our worship um and I, i'm guilty of it I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody is um and looking at god at less than what he is because we just i don't think we really want to look at god holy and perfect yeah because we are far from even perfect let alone holy right and so it just, it's a, especially as a believer with the indwelling of the Spirit, it's just a constant recognition of how sinful we really are. Yeah. And so, I mean, it makes worship difficult in that sense, but at the same time, because of who God is and what he's done, it should make it that much easier. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's easy to use this as a gauge to identify uh, patterns in our life, because if we're in a pattern of Sunday being the only day we worship the Lord then we really need to evaluate not what worship is, but who we see God as. And that's where that's where the emphasis has to be. Um, if, if I have someone come to me and say, I just, I just struggle to really engage in any kind of worship, then I'm going to go, okay, well, let's define what worship is in your mind. But usually, most of the time, it comes back to a struggle with, with uh, understanding or identifying who God is. Because it's not hard to worship when we recognize who God is. Yeah. When well, we, look at the, the, the people of Israel when He brings them out of yes. out of slavery and they're wandering in the desert for forty years. That's that we you know um, in spiritual disciplines when when that happens, us we call that a, a, the spiritual wilderness where right. we're far from God. And what was it? It was because they were disobedient. They weren't paying attention. The only time they worshipped was when, the, when they immediately were brought out. Yeah. And then because you know. They didn't get what they wanted. They stopped worshiping and not doing what they were told. And then when finally when we get into the time of Joshua and he finally fulfills it and takes them into the promised land, they're like, oh, we're all about God again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, there's so many patterns and ties to that in, in who we are and how we live and how we function, um, not just uh, as individuals but as the, as the broad church. That becomes really easy for us to do. And it's one of the reasons why the persecuted church often becomes the most faithful in worship and in righteousness and in living it out. So there's a great challenge in there for us uh, to evaluate and go, who do I see God to be and how does that affect my worship? And what does my worship say conversely about that same thing? Um, so the third one, we've talked about a little bit on and off, but it's really what actions are most often associated with worship. And is it is it biblical to allow these actions, quote unquote, to define worship? Why or why not? I would say, as the big church, um, there's two that people will automatically recognize, and that is worship through music and worship through money. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I I mean, it's interesting you mentioned money. I I think there's a lot of people. I don't know they would see that as worship. I would think there's a lot of people who see that as uh, like it's a, just a responsibility. I think it's a desire. I think, of, I think it's both. It's a desire of mine to have the broader church culture understand that as an act of worship, mm-hmm. like living generously yep. as an act of worship. Um, but I think 
I'll, I'll come back to this default. I keep coming back around to this, but I would say what actions are most often associated with worship. I would say any actions that we associate with church, quote unquote. So like yeah. the gathering of people that happens once a week, we would say anything that takes place there is worship. Um, mostly because it's one of the only places where we're like talked to about this is worship. We're going to do this in worship. Yeah. Like the language we use emphasizes worship. So what's interesting about that is I think that it 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 makes clear that when we repeatedly identify something as such, we tend to live as if that's the case. But because so many of the the places of our life, we don't identify those as opportunities for worship, we don't automatically think that. So in some ways it's good because the, what we see associated with Sunday mornings associated with worship, that's a good thing. It's bad from the standpoint of we're not we're not talking ourselves talking to ourselves in the same way about every other part of our life and how it can be used as worship and glory to God in the same way. So it's I think it is biblical for us to define worship through these things but not solely by them. Mm-hmm. We can't limit our definition of worship to just what we do or what we see done and this comes back to uh, kind of that overarching main idea again. We have to be able to see God for who he reveals himself to be before all of our life can be seen as worship. We have to be able to see God present in every part of our life. And one of the things that sticks out is that means we have to be willing to see God in the midst of the desert we we wander in. Like if you're in a season of drought and hardship and hurt and suffering and pain, it is possible to worship in the midst of that. Uh, I think that's a, an, an unfortunate side effect of what we've made worship to be, where worship becomes this like exuberant, joy-filled, I have to be happy and excited type of thing. Yes. Whereas sometimes the most meaningful worship comes in the midst of like the hardest of seasons. If I can see God's presence and his grace and his mercy in the midst of that desert season. I was giggling because it made me think of Alistair Begg. I'm barely ambulatory at half past eight in the morning. <laughs> I mean, our our service starts at 1030. I'm barely ambulatory oh then. Um, when, you were, when you were talking there, it really made me think of Job. Mm. Because what did Job do consistently over and over again yeah. throughout all of what he went through? Right. And... What happened in the end, God ultimately blessed him far greater than he'd ever been blessed before. Um, and we are we are promised blessings. The key is though is we're not we're not it's not specified if it's you know earthly or spiritual or when it's going to take place or what it will be. Um, but I, I would say that any blessing that comes from the Lord is obviously far better than anything I can imagine. <clears throat> um, and so like yeah, it's it's absolutely. It boils down like that that question of worshiping through suffering. Like mm-hmm. nobody does that. I mean, and ultimately, like it's it's hard because you think, man, this is like look at the loss of a loved one. You're like, man, this yeah. is the hardest thing ever. But ultimately, you're like, you should be so full of joy because, especially if they were in Christ, like where did they go? Where are you going? You know, when you die, and like there's just in every season, you should be able to worship. 
Yeah, this kind of, uh, even ties back into our uh, Philippians series, our joy-filled series, and yeah. understanding joy and happiness are not the same thing. Um, but even uh, making the statement Sunday in the message, you know, when we're in the middle of the desert, are we are we longing for God to take us out of the desert, or are we longing for God in the midst of the desert? And those are two very different things. Yep. One is worshipful. The other is idolatrous because the the worshipful attitude is God. I long for you in the midst of this season, and I'm I'm praising you because I know who you are, and who you are doesn't change even though my life changes. The other is idolatrous because it elevates myself above who God is, and it says, uh, God, if you're really who you say you are, then you will do this mm-hmm. that I want you to do, and it puts you in an authority position over God, which is literally the definition of idolatry when something else becomes prioritized over who God is uh, and what he's called us to so uh, it's really interesting to correlate those two um, ultimately in defining how we see God and as a result how we see worship Um, so the last question in this is really in these two texts uh, Psalm 29 and Psalm 96 how can we begin to take steps towards seeing all of life as worship. Well, I mean, just the fact that when when sin first entered the world, that God just didn't annihilate all of humanity right there on the spot because he was justifiably right to do so, that that obviously right there is the first call, that all of life should be worship. Um, yeah. And hmm, I think some of the steps we can take is just to... I think just be mindful of things like that, yeah. and just all you know, just consistently just be remind reminding ourselves that you know we're just a heartbeat away from eternity, like literally, like you're, it takes one misbeat of your heart for it to stop. And yeah. I think that that's all that separates us. And just think how many times a minute your heart beats—that's all that separates us from death. And that God is upholding everything. In all things, through all things, like everything is, like the foundations of the world are held up by God. Like everything is literally happening because of the will of God right now. Yeah. So I mean, recognizing the power of God and and what He does for us and how um, everything is through Him really is just being mindful of that is probably a good place to start. Yeah, and and it follows in Psalm ninety six. There's several places where we see. A recognition in Psalm 96.5, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. So it's in it's in beginning to see those things as worthless. In contrast to that, the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And so taking a step to see God for who he is, who he's revealed himself to be. This is where that main idea has come out of. Um, and then... Uh, from that, it's from in recognition of this. Worship the this is verse nine of Psalm ninety six. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. It's having a healthy fear of who God is. That He is sovereign over all things. He is mindful of everything we do. Nothing is outside of His ability or His control. And to stop and to consider who He is in relation to what where we are and who we are. Uh, considering his holiness, considering his power, considering his justice, considering his mercy and his grace, all of these things are the starting points to then what m- should motivate us into 
uh, a place of worship. So th- those are uh, those are steps we can begin to take, but it is in no way a switch you're going to flip to be able to go from having a non-worshipful attitude to all of a sudden being a person who is faithful in worship through all of life. This is a disciplined walk where you take one step at a time and over time you develop habits uh, that that translate over into a way of living that becomes focused around giving glory to God in all things. Yeah. And I think just kind of as a sneak peek lead into next week, looking at uh, 7 and 8, ascribe to the Lord, O families of yeah. the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Like, if that's not a call to corporate worship, I don't know what it is, because aren't we the family? Right. Aren't we sons and daughters of God? Like, if you look at it that way, that's directly a call to corporate worship. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So as you think about these things, I really challenge you to spend time actually searching and answering the question, who is God and why should I worship him? And that would be a great starting place for you this week. If you are coming at this and you're going, I don't know where to begin, um, start there. Uh, look for the ways you can give to God what he is due in your everyday life, not just on Sundays, but in everything you do. Um, also pick apart how you have defined worship in the past. How does how you worship and how you uh, look at worship, how, what does that reveal about uh, what you see? And then uh, turn that around and redefine those things from a biblical perspective so that you get a clear view of what God has already stated. And then begin, once again, begin just stewarding and faithfully walking through each part of your life uh, in worship to God. Because everything you do, everything you say, can be has the ability to be done in worship when we see God for who he really is. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for being patient with us as we navigate uh, the tumultuous waters of worshiping you in spirit and in truth, doing this according to your purposes. As we go about this week, may you uh, help us to see all of life as worship, not just the pieces that we've made it to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.